This is VLX number 53. Jesus calls Matthew. We are in Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 to 13. God give you his peace. In nomine Patris, Sivini, Spiritus Sancti. Amen. God our Lord, we ask the grace that all of our intentions, actions, and operations be directed purely to the service and praise of your divine majesty. In nomine Patris, Sivini, Spiritus Sancti. Amen. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Thus are the words of the Holy Gospel. Okay, so not to insult anyone's intelligence, but I know sometimes what it's like to do a podcast on the go. So for those who are going and listening on the go, I want to just cover the basics. Today, St. Matthew is recounting the calling of St. Matthew. I know that might seem pretty basic, but sometimes the basics can miss us because we're actually in St. Matthew's Gospel, and today he's writing about his own calling. This is pretty extraordinary. He writes, As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. Interesting, he writes about himself in the third person. You'll often find that the apostles want to highlight their own mistakes, kind of the opposite of modern Christians. The apostles wanted to highlight their mistakes. Maybe you've heard me say before that St. Mark's Gospel really highlights all of the sins of Peter. Why is that? Because St. Mark's Gospel was dictated by Peter. He wanted all of the early Christians to know the one leading the church, that first pope, really messed up quite a bit. What great humility. And St. Matthew has that same humility. He wants everyone to know his former lifestyle. St. Matthew doesn't shy away from showing really how unlikely a pick he was to follow Jesus. But he shows fully his past life without trying to hide it at all. Father Lapidary writes, quote, Matthew names himself both out of humility that he might confess to the whole world that he had been a publican and a sinner, and also out of gratitude that he might make known abroad the exceeding grace of Christ to him, end quote. So I know a testimony is a little bit foreign to a lot of traditional Catholics, but we have a testimony right there. And what should be the two hallmarks of telling your testimony of following Christ? Humility and gratitude, that should be the center of it. Not about you, but humility for your past. Gratitude that our Lord has called you. So Jesus looks at him and he just says two words, follow me. Now what did it? What attracted him in that? You know, there's a movie out with, I think, a Portuguese male model playing the role of Jesus. And he kind of flashes these toothy grins. And it's this toothy grin that pulls him. That's not how the church fathers saw this. Uh, no, nor was it that these guys were easy targets. I think sometimes the movies also kind of make these guys to be the apostles out to be sort of these shallow guys who were easy to win over. That's not the case either. Let's listen to what Father Lapide says right here. I love this quite a bit. He calls Matthew, who is already subdued by the fame of his miracles, says St. John Chrysostom. Note the condescension of Christ who calls Matthew the publican and so a man infamous among the Jews, not only to grace, but to his family and intimate friendship and apostleship. 
What Lapide is saying right there is that Jesus called him to intimate friendship and apostleship. Again, this was written 400 years ago. So don't think that everything back then was just cold and purely doctrinal. Intimate friendship and apostleship. Of course, St. Matthew taught perfect doctrine. I don't mean to push doctrine to the side, but we have to have both. And what does it say? It says, and he rose up and followed him. Father Lapide continues, note here the efficacy of Christ's call and the ready obedience of Matthew. Hear what St. Jerome says about this. Now listen closely. This is St. Jerome, a fourth century saint and doctor of the church, and I love this quote a lot. Porphyry and Julian Augustus find fault in this place, either with the lying historian's lack of skill or else with the folly of those persons who immediately followed the Savior, as though they irrationally followed the first man who called them. But they do not consider the great miracles and mighty signs that preceded this calling. And there can be no doubt that the apostles had witnessed these things before they believed. This, at least, is certain the very refulgence and majesty of his hidden divinity, which shone even in his human countenance, was able to attract to him those who saw him as soon as they beheld him. For if there be in a magnet which is but a stone such force that it is able to attract and join unto itself rings and bits of metal, how much more is the Lord of all creatures able to draw unto himself whom he will? End quote. So right there, St. Jerome is saying, Jesus didn't just pick off the easiest targets of maybe the losers of society who might follow him. It's because Jesus was God that St. Jerome says the majesty and the hidden divinity shone in his human countenance and it attracted these men as bits of stone to a magnet. If you've ever seen two magnets um, or a big magnet and then the little magnets around and they just kind of fly to it, why is that? Because Jesus can draw whoever he wants because he created these souls. He created them and they go to him. For if there be a magnet which is but a stone, such force that it is able to attract and join unto himself rings and bits of metal, how much more is the Lord of all creatures able to draw unto himself when we will? So we Americans are very famous for just smiling even when we're not happy, smiling when we meet strangers. The rest of the world kind of finds that weird. I don't know if you've ever traveled. Uh, many of the rest of the world makes fun of how much we smile. So there may not have been a big smile on our Lord's face uh, as our American movies of Jesus show. Rather, it was the majesty of the hidden divinity which shone in his human countenance that drew St. Matthew. And then what does he say he did of himself? It says, he rose and followed him. That word rose there can mean resurrection, as in resurrection from the dead. And I'm going to show you that to you in a minute. St. Matthew writes of himself, Anastasis Akulutheisen autu. Anastasis is having risen. Akulutheisen is followed. And autu refers to Jesus. It just means him. And having risen, he followed him. Now that word Anastasis, what does that remind you of? Should remind you of the female name, St. Anastasia. Now, St. Anastasia of Sirmium was a third century, long time ago, third century saint and martyr honored by the Catholic Church and the Orthodox traditions. And her name is literally in the Greek, in the Eastern churches, St. Anastasia the Pharmacolutria. Pharmacolutria, literally the deliverer from potions because she heals people who have been poisoned. Now, before I prove to you that Anastasia means resurrection, let's look at the second part of her name. Pharma Calutria literally means deliverer from potions. Pharma is obviously where we get the English word pharmacology. Now, amazingly, that word is in the Bible, and it means sorcery or birth control. It's in Galatians 5.20. 
Here, St. Paul just gave a list of things that will prevent you from inheriting the kingdom of God. What things did he name? Well, he just had a list. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, and orgies. Quite a long list. Can't enter heaven if you're doing those things. But that word there in Greek in Galatians 5.20 for sorcery is pharmakeia. Again, right where we get our English word pharmacology. And just like now, pharmakeia back then, when Paul wrote that in 5.20, Galatians 5.20, that meant birth control portions. And just like today, those birth control portions worked as both contraceptive and abortifacent. Cover your kids' ears for just 30 seconds here, and then they can come back. Remember the normal birth control pill that probably most Catholic women are still on in this country functions not only as a contraceptive, but also as an abortifacent. Meaning it doesn't always prevent fertilization, but sometimes prevents implantation post-fertilization. And Paul uses that word pharmakeia interchangeably with sorcery right there in Galatians 5.20. This is how evil St. Paul saw birth control, a murderous potion that kept you out of heaven. And of course, because it kills zygotes, just like today, it's murder. Just look at the pharmacology report of a modern birth control pill that it even admits it prevents implantation post-fertilization of the zygote sometimes, meaning a new individual is killed. So maybe anyone who's addicted to these big pharmacology stuff in any way can pray to St. Anastasia, the potion destroyer, the pharmacolutria, again, that word where we get pharmacology, for freedom and release. But let's get back to her first name, Anastasia. It literally means resurrection. And Anastasia is one of only seven women named in the Roman canon in the Catholic Mass, along with the Blessed Virgin Mary, of course. In fact, there's a church named after her in Rome. And personally, at least 20 years ago, when I was looking for a night chapel that had perpetual adoration. St. Anastasia's church was the only one I could find in Rome with perpetual adoration when I was looking around at night. Uh, to pray. Pretty sad to have only one place in the whole Diocese of Rome with perpetual adoration where you can adore our Lord in the Eucharist all night. But listen to what even Wikipedia admits regarding the name of this ancient basilica in Rome. This is again talking about the Basilica of St. Anastasia. There existed in Rome from the 4th century at the foot of the Palatine Hill and above the Circus Maximus a church which had been adorned by St. Damasus 366 to 384 with a large mosaic. It was known as Titulus Anastasiae and is mentioned as such in the Acts of the Roman Council of 499. There is some uncertainty as to the origin of this name. Either the church owes its foundation to and was named after a Roman matron, Anastasia, as is the case of several other titular churches of Rome, Duquesne, or it was originally an Anastasis church dedicated to the resurrection of Christ. End quote. Okay, two really important things to note there. First, this church goes back to the 4th century. Can you imagine a functioning building in the United States going back to the 4th century? And secondly, notice that Anastasia, Anastasis rather, could mean the resurrection of Christ, the resurrection church. Anastasis means the resurrection, as in the resurrection of Christ. So how beautiful is that, that we have this word Anastasis referring to Matthew getting up out of his sins to follow Jesus, and it refers to Christ's resurrection, and it's even a female saint's name. 
So there we have proof that that Anastasis today in Matthew 9, 9 has some sense of St. Matthew being resurrected from his sins to go and follow Jesus. So you might want to write that down if you just look at that single word rose in English. You might want to write above that in your Bible, Anastasis, so that you know that this is what it's referring to. And then what is the first thing that St. Matthew does? It says he has all of his friends go and meet Jesus, has all of his sinful friends meet Jesus at this dinner that he holds. Father Lapide writes, quote, It is indeed a sign of true conversion to be anxious that others also should be converted from the same sins or similar ones. It is indeed a sign of true conversion to be anxious that others also should be converted from the same sins or similar ones. So are you a sinner? Yeah, you are, you are a sinner and I'm a sinner, of course. And it's easy enough for us to say we're all sinners, but then not really delineate the different degrees. Because while it's true we're all sinners, we also have to remember, as I said in a previous either CPX or VLX, St. Thomas Aquinas says the term sinner can also mean specifically those who choose to live in habitual mortal sin. So let me read you this from Lapide. This is important here. He's talking about why the publicans are especially sinners more than your average person. The office of publican, that is like a tax collector back then, the office of a publican was in itself a just one that could be exercised without sin. Yet because avaricious men frequently undertook it from love of gain, who extorted unjust dues, especially from the poor, publicans were accounted infamous among Jews. Moreover, the Jews of old maintained that they, as a people dedicated to God, ought not to be subject to the Romans, who were Gentiles and idolaters, nor to pay them tribute, for this was contrary to the liberty and dignity of the children of God. Now, how about this term, sinners? Father Lapide writes, Sinners are distinguished here from publicans, though they were associates. These sinners seem to have been dissolute Jews who cared little for the Jewish law and religion and lived with heathens in the heathenish manner or who'd apostatized to heathenism. So these were bad Jews. I just relearned the term Jack Mormons. Maybe we should get that going for Catholics. Jack Catholics, Jack Jews here. These were the people who were not taking their religion very seriously and yet even they were very attracted to Christ. Now usually the Pharisees get jealous and they say something to Jesus, but this time they're grumbling behind him and they say something to the apostles. They say something to the disciples. Did you notice that? This is very different. This time, the Pharisees almost try this divide-and-conquer tactic against Christ's own disciples. Notice the Pharisees go after them to turn them against Jesus. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, obviously, as God, Jesus hears this, even if it's out far from his human earshot. Father Lapide writes, but Jesus hearing it from the report of his disciples, for even the Pharisees did not dare to make this charge to Christ himself, then said, dot, 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 and here we go back to Matthew's gospel, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Okay, so you might say, well, wait a minute. Jesus is calling the tax collectors sinners, He's calling the Pharisees righteous? Not exactly. Now, I would never ascribe sarcasm to our Lord, but there's a little Jewish irony in there. Christ is basically saying his healing hands are tied against not the righteous, but against the self-righteous. Christ is basically saying his healing hands are tied against not the righteous, but against the self-righteous. Father Lapide summarizes Jesus' words as this, quite striking. 
I therefore am the physician of sinners, not their companion. But you, O Pharisees, are not physicians of sinners, but their companions, and therefore notorious, contaminated, and blameworthy. Nevertheless, you wish the people to consider you just and holy, and therefore I do not associate with you as you would like. Both because those who are well, that is just, as you claim to be, do not need a spiritual physician, and also because I shun your dissembling and hypocrisy. End quote. So Father Lapide summarizes Jesus' words first person almost as saying, you want the people to consider you just and holy, and so I do not associate with you as you want, and then you do not need a spiritual physician, and I shun your hypocrisy. Okay, let's look at one more cool word connection here. Jesus just quoted Hosea 6.6. That's an Old Testament prophet. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Now, obviously, that was written in the Hebrew, but the Greek for mercy there is eleos, which is the root word of one of the words you hear in Mass, eleison, as in kyrie eleison. So if eleos and eleison mean mercy, just different declensions of it, then you can figure out what kyrie means. Kyrie means Lord. So Kyrie eleison says, Lord, have mercy. And amazingly, Christ expects us to exercise that same virtue he is having on us, eleos, today, when he says, even of us and to us, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Okay, so for the imaginative way of prayer, I'm going to be a little bit shorter today, and I suggest that instead of picturing yourself being called in Matthew's place, like you probably thought I would say, I would say this. This is what I'm going to suggest for those of you doing the imaginative way of prayer. Picture yourself there where Matthew is in this house of tax collecting, and you're another tax agent working next to him, maybe at the table next to him, the desk next to him. And our Lord comes in and see our Lord come up to him and just say two words, follow me. See just this cloud of grace envelop Matthew, not physically, uh, but see maybe the scales fall from his eyes like Paul invisible ones here, and see Matthew get up mid-work. Can you imagine following Christ in the middle of your job, knowing that you will be immediately fired for that? Now, think what we heard earlier in the study way of prayer, that Matthew sensed really deep in his intuition that immediately Christ was calling him to, quote, intimate friendship and apostleship, as Father Lapide wrote over 400 years ago. St. Jerome wrote, he saw the very refulgence and majesty of the hidden divinity which shone in even his human countenance because Christ was able to attract to him those who saw him as soon as they beheld him like a magnet. And then maybe part two, if you do 15, 30 minutes of prayer, even if you do five minutes, maybe you could fit in part two here. Then what should you picture? St. Matthew has this party for all the sinners in town to meet this miracle man prophet this Jesus, and you're invited to that too. And again, maybe to switch it up this time from what you might expect I'd say, maybe this time just be there watching the sinners and the Pharisees and our Lord. But don't talk this time to Jesus and Matthew. Just watch the faces of everyone around them. Watch their reactions. The mercy that Christ shows to those who admit they need him, and perhaps the cold faces of those who are too righteous to admit they need any mercy at all. And finally, don't despair if you misuse that pharmacology sorcery of abortifacence, for Christ has oceans of mercy to forgive you for that sin if you go to confession too. And please say an Our Father for me, et benedictio deum nepotentis, 
Pachi Sifidi, et spiritu sancti descendit super vos, et maniat semper. Amen. <laughs>